I would say this, if someone has trauma and they're trying to talk to you, you're gonna feel like you wanna run away at first. You're gonna feel like you don't know what to say. Stay with her. Even if you say stupid shit, if you just like sit next to her, you're gonna find something to say. That Welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie. If you read the title, then you know that something's up. (laughs) The good news is one of my favorite people and likely one of your favorite people now, the legendary hairstylist Ryan Bassetti is back for the third week in a row. This is the first ever three-part episode of this podcast. I've done a handful of two-part episodes, but never before have I done a three-parter. But as you'll hear, this part is a bit different. It was recorded on a different day about a week later from the first time I went over to her studio and we recorded the last two episodes that you heard were recorded in the same day. Which brings me to the bad news, which is that something really bad, really terrible happened to our friend Ryan. And By now, if you listened last week and the week before, you maybe feel like you know her or maybe you do know her if you're listening to this and you're one of her friends or family or she's taken care of you and she's done your hair. What you're about to hear is really sad. And also knowing Ryan, this probably won't shock you But even within talking about something heavy and horrible for her, she's able to speak eloquently and she shares a really intense story about something bad that happened to her while she was living in Marfa, Texas, where she had a salon just a few years ago. I want to put a warning here that we talk about an intense experience that mentioned sexual assault. Not much explicit detail about the exact assault itself. It's more the entirety of the story around it. And that in lieu of a sponsor, I want to take a second to mention an important organization that Ryan and I want to highlight. And they're called the Texas Advocacy Project. If you have the means to make a donation or support them or just check them out, the link is in the show notes. I'm so grateful that you're here listening. And more than ever, I'm so grateful to know Ryan. This part three conversation that you're about to be dropped into, I want to give you just a little bit of context into where I'm popping you. So part one and part two, if you didn't already listen to those, you might want to go back you definitely probably want to go back. You'll have a lot more context about Ryan or you can jump in here. But basically somewhere around the middle of our first conversation, that was one day that I broke up into two parts. 
we were talking about her really tricky eating disorder that stuck in her mind for a while. And she mentions that there was one piece that lingered with her for a particularly long time. And she said that it didn't leave her brain until somewhat recently. And so then I ask, well, what changed that? She says that what made her stop doing that is that there was a big trauma. She starts to talk about it a little bit more, but she stops herself and she's like, oh, shoot, I I can't really talk about this actually right now. And so I said, of course, yeah, no, no problem. And as you probably have guessed, we don't edit this show a ton. It's pretty raw as is. Basically, we have that moment where she tells me she can't really talk about it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And no problem. We go back into recording the episode. We do. And then the next day, Ryan called me. She told me that she had just left therapy and she actually really did want to talk about the bad thing that happened. She was like, do you mind if you come back over and we can re-record that part. And she was so generous. She's like, I'll come to you. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, no problem. And so I went back to her studio and I brought the microphones and I was thinking she was just going to say a little bit. So I just got one out and turns out it's such a huge, wild story. It really couldn't be told. You'll hear in a moment in any other way. And so she was like, actually, would you get out of mic too and I think it, it would be better to have it more as a conversation and so I was like yeah yeah of course and, and I was glad I brought both of them and so we sat down and recorded this and and I say at the beginning something like well we actually have a moment of, of comic relief at the very end laughing about this moment at the beginning because I knew we were going to be talking about something bad and I vaguely knew a little bit about what happened but to get us there I had to sort of like ask the question of like, so what happened in Marvy? Even though I like knew just like a tiny bit. And then she tells me like the start of it and I I react appropriately, but surprised. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, which I am sorry, but I was, I would, I did know that it was coming. And anyway, so you'll, you'll hear that in a second, but that's where I'm dropping you in. And here is the full story told by our friend Ryan, one of the most special people I know, one of the most talented, smartest, most beautiful, radiant, magnetic, cool people that I've ever met in my life. So I'm, I think, I think my question to you was like, what helped you to stop doing that? It was really crazy because it was, it felt, it was such a part of my like everyday brain ritual. Like I just had this little tally running and like behind everything else it was always going. But I basically had a really fucked up thing happen to me, like a really terrible like personal trauma. And it was almost like my nervous system like did a sweep through my brain and all of the like useless compulsive shit I had been doing was like taking up too much real estate. And so my nervous system just swept it up and like knocked it out. It like deleted it, which is insane because I was, I remember like for years I would be like, what will free me from this mental like math? Yeah. Like nothing could free me. And then like over the course of like a month, it was just like, it dissipated and then it was gone. It was crazy. That's so, yeah. That's so intense. So what was it that, that happened that made, that was so 
heavy that yeah, could do that. The bad stuff. Yeah. So basically, I so I was living in Marfa. Basically, like I got assaulted. I, what's funny is like the assault itself was really shitty, but it wasn't that bad. It what in comparison to the events that followed. Basically, I I got assaulted. I decided to press charges and unfortunately it was the person I had pressed charges against is a a very wealthy white man from Texas and kind of the worst type of person to press charges against and it turned my life into like a total tornado of hell basically. Mm. We went to trial and he was acquitted very quickly. He was acquitted I think in like an hour. Oh my god. And so basically it was it was like this insane experience of kind of the package deal for c- coming forward. And I've read a lot about women who've come forward and have had to go through that like true nightmare. Yeah. And in Marfa it was specifically a nightmare because it's such a little social microcosm there. I cut I mean I, I would say a majority over 50% of the town were clients of mine. And because of who this person is, by the end, probably 10% of those people were still talking to me. Oh, my God. And when he was acquitted, it, I had to leave. Like, I couldn't stay in Marfa. Oh, Ryan, that's – oh, that the social, like, intensity of that. Be- because of that, it was like, yeah, I developed, like, there's all this crazy PTSD in my life yeah. now. and. When I left there, I felt like a tattered rag of a woman. And then I came to LA and it's been so beautiful. Mm. I feel so lucky. Uh, like every every category of my life has like kind of blossomed. It's funny because when I'm now that I'm here, people ask me whenever they hear I've been to Marfa or lived in Marfa, they're like, mm. oh, what's it like? What's it like? I think there's a lot of folklore about it being this kind of liberal bubble town. It's yeah. Texas, but it's not, you know, everybody there like voted for Hillary and watching how people flipped when they realize what their social consequences would be for like believing me were fucking crazy. It was so insane. And I do want to say that there is probably like I would say he's like a hero person for me. He so after the trial. Listen, the trial was such a nightmare. I can't even tell you. I mean, the district attorney, I had, we had an attorney come with my parents. So my parents came to support me. Thank God. The defense had pulled a lot of crazy moves that I think, having spoken to a lot of attorneys in other states, you can only do in Texas. Like the, his defense team had moved. They had the, the, trial moved out of the courtroom. So we weren't in the official courtroom in Marfa. We were in the like funny little room with like old carpet and folding chairs where they have like city council meetings. And they'd also had all the recording equipment removed. So there's no record of what was said to me. Oh yeah. The district attorney, she had called a lot of people to be witnesses for me, like character witnesses. Mm -hmm. And by the end she'd canceled all of them. I had no one to show up. Why? She wouldn't say why. It's all speculation. I don't want to say I don't want to get in trouble. But we had a, an, a friend who's an attorney come. And she was like, something happened. Like, she's not on your side. And that's not correct because she was a district attorney. She was my legal counsel. Right. And so I walked into the trial. She, w- she refused to talk to me before the trial. She wouldn't help me prepare. 
she wouldn't meet with me at all. And my dad went with me to like sit and wait for her because he was like, we're not going in there until you get to talk to her. You're not going to like walk into like a firing squad. And we sat there and sat there and sat there. And finally, like a bailiff came to get me. And he was like, you have to go in. And my dad was like, she hasn't spoken to the district attorney. Oh, my God. This is. And so he said, she hasn't spoken to the district attorney. And the bailiff was like, she doesn't want to talk to her. She says there's nothing to talk about. And she says she's going to sit there. She's not coming back. And so my dad was so fucking pissed. I'm so glad that he was there. We So we, we, he leads us into the courtroom. I walk out into this room. And I know I had some friends there. I couldn't see their faces. I, all I could see was my mom and dad. And then this like room full of, I can only describe it as like angry villagers. It was like pitchforks. It was insane. There wasn't a chair for me next to the district attorney where they're supposed to be, as far as I was aware. The guy I was pressing charges against was sitting at a table surrounded with like seven attorneys. There was a folding chair off to the side, and they just pointed and told me to sit there. Oh, my God, Ryan. The district attorney didn't even call him to the stand. I, I don't know how trials, you know, like proceedings are supposed to go, but basically I just was, I was on like the stand all by myself and no one else. Nobody else was called. And it was just a fucking shit show and it sucked really. It was terrible. It was so bad. So traumatic. Yeah. Well, actually, I forgot to tell you, but when we first walked out into the room, my dad, <laughs> he walked up to the judge in front of everyone and he pointed at the district attorney. And he said, she has refused to talk to my daughter. She has not prepared her for this trial. And the judge like yelled at him. The judge, who was a woman, yelled at him and told him to sit down. It's so crazy because like the evidence that was allowed in, the district attorney didn't have any problem with, basically they were, they had deposed all these people who, when I was out that night with this person, you know, Marfa, you go to like restaurants. Yeah. And when you go to the restaurant, you see all your friends. Right. So they had deposed all these people that were that were people that knew us who were in the restaurant. And evidence that was allowed in was like, we saw her laughing, sitting with him and laughing at his jokes. We saw her having drinks with him. That was all allowed in. And it's it's just like the kind of 50s, 40s. Right. You know, she got drunk with him. She laughed oh. at his jokes. And... I was so stunned. I just was sitting there. I was like, oh, my God, this is Texas. Like, it's happening right here in Marfa. And all these people, if you, like, asked them about Hillary Clinton, they would have been like, we are feminists. We wear pussy hats. We – but, like, when I had the audacity to come forward and say what had happened, it it just instigated rage in, like, men and women that, like, I was not ready for it was so insane. Oh, of course. How long were you in Marfa? Uh, I lived in Marfa for a total of four years. Okay. And when I say I was assaulted in Texas on legal record, I wasn't because he was acquitted. Right. So I really want to say that. For the record, on paper, I wasn't assaulted. So, But uh, that happened yeah. August of 2018, and the trial was July of 2019. And so it was basically like almost a year of getting like emails from his attorneys. They wanted, they subpoenaed my cell phone. They were trying to find evidence that I had like seduced him. Oh my God. It was so insane. And so over that time, it was like my nervous system started shutting 
Of course. And that's when like the whole calorie counting just like went out the fucking window. Cause I was like, I'm in like survival <sighs> mode. Yeah. I'm having clients leave. Yeah. It affected your safety, your security, your bottom line, your community, your connection, your whole bodies on high alert and you, you had made a life there and then yeah. it was completely shaken in every single possible way. That's horrific. Yeah. It really hits you in that primal, like yeah. getting evicted from a tribe kind of thing. Totally. It was just, it was so crazy. Oh, so I'm so sorry. <sighs> Thanks, babe. I mean, first of all, I want to say these people are like very bad people. And what they wanted was for me to like disappear. And I think that my life right now is kind of like my victory over them. Yeah. Because like all I did was leave and go to a place where my business would grow like threefold. I would like find my life partner. Yeah. I would walk into like a community of like the most beautiful friends I've ever had. And on top of that, I am very articulate. I yeah. remember everything that happened to me in that courtroom. I feel fierce. I feel fierce in my belief. I know what happened to me. Yeah. I don't care that he was acquitted. And I'm not just willing, but very interested in like talking about my experience yeah. and supporting other women who've come forward. I feel like now I know the like roadmap and I know what to expect. And I, I've talked to like clients have come to me now to talk mm -hmm. about like what to do and if they want to come forward. And I'm like, oh, I know, I know I can help you. So I think that they failed miserably. Yeah. They tried to like, they kind of tried to murder me. I can't really oh. describe to you what that trial was. It was like a full Witch trial. I, I feel like what what's the the cheesy saying, but like the best revenge is happiness or like yeah. living your own life. And, yeah. and I'm so happy that happened for you. But the thing is that you didn't know that it was going to turn out this way. So when you have your whole life shaken, the, the dark before the dawn, when you're just in the dark, yeah. that's so intense. Oh, dude. There were so many like betrayal wounds. I knew who the bad guys were. The the like blatant wannabe cowboy attorneys from, you know, wherever, who by the way, I remember leaving the courtroom when it was over. And I was like getting pushed into my parents' arms and then they pushed me into the car and we just fucking drove to El Paso. I just remember I'd been like weeping and I just looked out at the door and like he and the whole crew of these fake cowboys we're smiling and high-fiving. And there were oh my men God. from Marfa who had been like really excited to, to try to take me down who were smiling and high-fiving. They all walked around the corner and got drunk together and posted like celebratory photos on Facebook. This is disgusting. Yeah. And it's like, hey, guys, that's Marfa. So like I also want to say like warning to women. Yeah. There's no such thing as a liberal bubble in a red state. And certainly oh. not Texas. So like that goes for Austin, Austin Marfa. What you're up against doesn't matter that there's like country music and tacos. When shit goes down, if shit goes down, yeah. you're dealing with fucking Greg Abbott and Rick Perry. There's like a lack of laws. It is truly lawless. Like I had so many attorneys I was calling when I was getting ready for the trial who lived here, who lived in New York. And I was telling them what was going on. And they were like, Ryan, this is super. If this was in our state, this would be illegal. But in Texas, there aren't laws. Oh, my God. That's on purpose. It's so that people like this person can do what they want and have no consequences. And it was so insane and sad to hear that. Because yeah. I would, like, go and work in New York City. I would go to Portland and work. 
And I would be in those places and I'd be like, God, if I lived here, I'd have help. But in Texas, I don't. And I asked for help from other attorneys and everyone was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you don't want to mess with the district attorney. She'll have your back. Like, you don't want to bring another attorney in. And then like what she did, it was so crazy. So I don't know how legal or illegal anything was, but that's what happened. Uh. And when I tell, again, attorneys in other places, they just look at me and they're like, I'm so sorry you were in Texas because that's kind of the only place they got they could get away with that kind of thing. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. I'm still processing. And I, I'm really grateful that you shared this with me and then here because I think it's, like you said, with your clients now coming to you, it's so intense and horrific what you went through. And I'm so happy that you're speaking about it because – I hope in, in some way it, it can feel cathartic for you because you didn't get it at all in a way that you were meant to and should have. And it can help other people because what you had happened to you is horrific on so many levels with Texas and the law that I, is like incomprehensible, honestly, and almost outshines the actual assault that happened to you, Definitely. which is- also horrific and you not even being able to process that because of the pain of the everything around it and losing your life there and having to completely start over is incredibly intense and honestly knowing you now really inspiring like you were always inspiring to me but now having this backstory it's on another level and I'm just so so sorry that happened to you and that similar things I'm sure happen every day there. And even in states where there is some sort of justice that happens to, to women after just the trauma of going through that process is still not great. And, and then the amount of people that have had just like nuanced things that haven't even gotten to that. It's just really intense. And I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. And I, I just, I feel like really moving forward in life. Like I, yes, for me, I'm happy. Like I have this beautiful life here and thank God I don't live in Texas and yeah. thank God I'm not in Marfa. It's a sad little town, you know, with a handful of exceptions. There are some wonderful people there, but I was trying so desperately to like take care of everyone. Yeah. And I just, I looking back and I'm like, why was I doing that? Thank God I have a great therapist in LA who's just like, why were you taking care of all of these like ungrateful addicts, you know? And I was like, great question. Also, why was I like dating people like that? I am grateful to be out of there. And also I feel mobilized to help women who want to come forward. It's not just Texas. It's not like this happenstance that it, that they try to dismantle women in the process of coming forward. They make it as hard as possible. They will traumatize you as much as possible. Defense attorneys basically have a playbook for how to do that. I've read so many accounts of other women who've come forward in like high profile and otherwise cases. Watching Dr. Ford and Kavanaugh, like the Kavanaugh hearings, yeah. like watching what was done to her. You're like, okay, there it is. And it comes from <sighs> men and women. I'm just here to like help women come forward. By the way, the police and Marfa believed me. The police chief is the one I was just going to, I had just planned on filing an incident report about what had happened to me. I wasn't going to press charges. 
because um, I just wanted something on the record in case he did it to someone else, right? And I went in and talked to the police chief and he sat with me. And at the end of it, he was like, ma'am, this is a sex assault. And he was like, I really would encourage you to press charges. And I was like, I can't do that. And he said, why? And I was like, it's because this is who he is. He like owns a lot of the town and his friends own the rest of the town. And he was like, that can't matter. We need you to do this. So I thought about it for another like couple weeks and then I did it. But he believed me and he told me after it was all over, he said, Ryan, before you did this, women didn't come in and file incident reports for sex assault in Marfa. Now they do it every mm. week. I won. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh. These bad guys in Marfan everywhere who do the shit like this to women, whether they're raping them or not, it doesn't matter. That's why I'm here. I'm here for that. You know what I mean? And I think the fact that I do hair is like such a beautiful excuse to be in the midst of people intimately mm -hmm. and take care of them and support them. Most of those people are women and women trust me and tell me like they share so much with me. And I'm equipped to like hold space for them and hear yeah. and empower them and give them like nurturing when other people are trying to tear them down. And I, so I just, as I've like moved through all this, I'm like, ah, it's weird, but it's like goes back to that fairy tale thing. I feel like there's like some destiny shit here mm -hmm. where I was like inoculated by this darkness by having that happen to me. And now I'm like, I've been like vaccinated against that type of, of violence. Now I'm like actually their worst nightmare because I'm very powerful and I'm articulate and I have amazing, powerful clients like you, journalists, you know, people who are like, Ryan, what happened? Let's talk about it. I am in the position to like help women. Yeah. And I know most of Marfa still thinks I'm a liar and I don't care at all. Yeah. And we don't, we don't care about them, but yeah, I think what you said about helping women like I mean so much of it is talking about it like yeah the shame and the shadow and being able to talk about it for the first time to mm -hmm. to someone mm -hmm. I and and if you get that in your chair or to people because because you when someone shares their honest truth about a situation about anything yeah it makes it more likely that someone can share something as well. And yeah. I, I had something happen somewhat recently, like not that recently, but maybe like a, over a year ago. And I felt really shitty about it after. Mm -hmm. And I kind of pocketed it away, didn't really think about it the next day. And then I I talked to our friend Zoe yeah. on the phone. And she was like, Oh yeah, what happened at that part? And I and I'm on the phone. I remember where I was, and I'm just telling it like beat by beat by beat. Mm -hmm. And she got really quiet and yeah. really upset. Yeah, and was able to to be like that was really bad, and she, like explained how bad that was and yeah. that person. Yeah, and I hadn't even clocked it. Like, I knew I felt off and I felt yeah. bad that that happened. Oh yeah. But I didn't even, I had all of these things at the ready, but I did this and I said this and oh, I was wearing yeah. this. I and know. I, it's the first thing you do is you start going through like, how am I culpable? How did I do this? Mm -hmm. Because society really wants you to feel that way. Like mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, you probably seduced him. Everything is coming at you telling you as soon as you get assaulted that it's your fault. Right. Right. And if I wouldn't have 
talked about it if I wouldn't have said it and I didn't even really want to like I remember no, yeah. she kind of pulled it out of me yeah. like I didn't even want to say it out loud yeah yeah because I felt embarrassed yeah and I didn't like that it had happened and then the more angry she got the more uncomfortable I got where I almost yeah it, it scared me to see yeah. my friend care yeah. so much but yeah. I I, yeah. I only say that to say like that's what talking about something like this can do it completely shifted having someone else reflect that to me. Yes. Yes. And and like props to Zoe. It makes me love Zoe even more because you know what? That response, I call it co-anger. I like yeah. decided it's called co-anger when I was going <laughs> through it. And I was very transparent with people about what was yeah. going on and what had happened to me. Zoe's reaction is how a small percentage of the population will respond to you telling someone you were assaulted. The rest of the population... I watched, I triggered all these people. Like, it's like they can feel the stigma of what an assault creates. It's like the atmosphere around you as the victim yeah. makes you this kind of like fraught person. And you have to be brave and love yourself to expect better behavior for your friend, for yourself, yeah. for everyone. And if you aren't brave and you don't love yourself, what I found so frequently was women who had been assaulted worse than I had would get angry with me because I hadn't been raped and they had, and they didn't come forward. <sighs> There's like this super dark misogyny, ingrained misogyny yeah. in women that, that happens in our society, especially in a place like Texas, where women are taught that they're strong Texan women. When they saw me saying like, hey, I, I was hurt. This is what happened. And I, that's why I went to the police. Well, Ryan, he was just being a man. You don't worry about it. Just move on. The number, especially we're talking like <sighs> older ladies in Marfa, Gen X, Boomer, Beyond. Yeah. It was like they bristled when, when I would talk to them about it. They would get mad at me. It was like, and immediately it was like this weird, and I was like, am I in trouble with you? Yeah. And that was really fucking common. I wish oh. it was like not. So all that to say, Zoe, I applaud Zoe. Yeah. And I really, really am hopeful that like as women, as we move on through generations, dark stuff that women carry from men, mm -hmm. where they attack other women for defending themselves. I hope that that starts to leave. Yeah. Because that the only response that's, that's correct is anger on behalf of yeah. your friend who was hurt. Yeah. I found I lost patience with people that were like trying to be too serene about it. Yeah. If they acted like they weren't surprised, if it was like, oh, yeah, like, da da da. <sighs> like, I'm like, no, no, no. The only healthy response is anger. Is anger yeah. on behalf of this woman that you know, who you know and care about purportedly, at being for her being hurt. Yeah. This example with Zoe is, is good because our age gap, I'm like six or seven years older than her. Mm -hmm. And I think hopefully some of that internalized misogyny, yeah. even in our little age gap, mm -hmm. is I think it's a sign of that. And I also think by telling it, like yeah. I was too close and what you were saying, like the the low self-worth of like it was okay, it was I pocketed it somewhere. Like I didn't even wanna and I don't want to blame. I don't want to blame victims for not loving themselves enough. I want to, I don't, I wanna really like edit that where really it's just like the judgment, the self-judgment yeah. that takes over. And how the fuck could it not in this society? I think it just, for me, as someone who women confide in now, I feel how important it is that I do not succumb to any triggers 
that mm. I feel when women talk to me about their stuff and I show up for them like a guardian. And I don't let my shit come into the, into the picture. I need to be bright and clear and powerful and angry on their behalf and, and, and making them feel protected yeah. just in that moment. Yeah. I mean, that's the power of friendship too. Like I, I think if it's reversed mm -hmm. and I was hearing about like what I've heard with you, it's like I've this whole time have felt it in my stomach so upset that that happened. Like I think it's really easy. I mean, obviously, evidently, it's not easy for all of those people who didn't have the reaction of anger when you told them. But yeah. To, to me, it's easy yeah. for my friends and even strangers. Like, yeah. it's so clear to me. Yeah. I'm just so sorry. I don't really even have anything else to say. I'm just so sorry that happened to you. Thank you so much, babe. And I really, I really appreciate that. And I, I just, I want to also really quick, I just want to do like some, uh, some shout outs to the people in Marfa who I just, who helped me. Yeah. So much. Adeline and her dad, Craig, are so incredible. You know, when I'm saying a guardian angel, you want to step up and be that woman. Adeline would kill people people for me. And she sat in the trial with my mom and dad. And I could feel all this, like, power coming from her. Her dad would absolutely kill people for me. <laughs> I don't want people killed, just for the record. But that, that level of protection. Yeah. Junie and Leslie, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, protective people. Okay. And the one, the person I was, I was going to talk about, yeah. his name's Ian and he's like this beautiful man. He was a journalist working at Marfa Public Radio. And the day after the trial, he wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper in Marfa and he, it was so eloquent and beautiful. And he was just like, like a hundred people have signed this letter and we want the town to know that we believe Ryan. Oh. And the letter was just beautiful. And it was like this this state, the methods that were used by the defense in, in that trial were like unethical and of a former time. And basically, we don't care because we believe Ryan. And then I got to see this list of people who signed. Aww. And there were people on there that had never come up to me or said anything. And I wish they would have, you know, and I, I really support and I'm so grateful to all of them for signing that letter because that was a big signal back to the to the other people yeah. that they didn't win. And that like kind of like public perception in a yeah. town like that is really kind of what matters more than what the Texas justice system says. Yeah. And so that would that helped me be like, OK, cool. Like they know that everyone knows what actually happened. Yeah. But what happened next was like kind of stunning. So Ian worked at Marfa Public Radio. The director of Marfa Public Radio, a woman, demanded that he retract the letter <sighs> because he was a journalist and it was like unethical for him to have a stance publicly. <sighs> and he refused and then he quit his job at Marfa Public Radio. Oh my God. When I was able to call him and not just like, ball on the phone you know when I was like yeah. I just was like you are this beautiful person and you're my hero and I just couldn't be more grateful to you and he was just so soft-spoken and and beautiful and I was just he's so strong and so to everybody on that list like thank you so much and and I and I really don't want to like make the message you know be like oh all of Marfa sucks but there's like a big healthy contingency of really sad bitter people there who 
were too excited to have the opportunity to come after me for like a myriad of reasons that I won't bore you with, but all that to say, and now I'm here and I have this beautiful life that's so much better <laughs> in every single way. And I don't know, I just, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for all of it. And, and I really want to make it known that like, I am here to support women who are coming forward. And I have a lot of attorney friends in my life. And if anyone is like listening to this and mm. wants to talk, maybe we can put like my email up or something yeah. so people can reach out. And I am like, I am here for women in this world. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. God, just thank you so much for sharing all of that. Did you keep in touch with Ian? Where did he end up? He still lives in Murfa. His gang there is real sweet. They're really sweet people. And I mean, that's the thing. Marfa is like, there's a way to that place that's so beautiful and soft. The sunsets and the stars and the house parties and the dinner parties and the porch hangs. And, and I wish this really dark underbelly wasn't there. I think Ian, I mean, he's, again, he dealt with it. He was like involved. He kind of navigated it and he could stay there the fact that i can't live there doesn't mean that no one should live there but i don't know man if you're like a young single lady like don't move to marfa you know yeah there's not a lot there why did you move there in the first place so when i was living in portland i had a small group of friends that had been going to marfa a few of them were in a band and they'd been shooting like their music videos and recording there's a really cool little recording studio there and they'd been recording their albums there for some time. I dated an artist who had like done a residency down there. Mm -hmm. My friends there were always like, Ryan, you would love Marfa. It's so darkly comedic now, like to go and like think about that. Like <laughs> they were just like, Ryan, you would love Marfa. Like you should go. And then, so one summer I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go to Marfa. And I, I spent like two months there and it was magical. And I think it was because no one knew me. I also was not single. I was dating that artist and he wasn't there. Like, but everyone knew I was mm -hmm. off market or whatever. Um, and I just had this beautiful, I just walked around and like, I would talk to people sometimes. I wrote, I ended up writing this little book that got published oh, and cool. it was great. And I brought my kit and I would do like wedding hair and like, I'd ride my bike around and cut people's hair, like in their backyards. And then after that first summer, somebody was like, hey, Ryan, can you come back in like three months and do my wedding? And I was like, hell yeah, dude. And then, you know, someone else was like, what about like three months after that? Could you come back? And finally, after a couple of years of that, I was like, you know what? There isn't like much of a salon culture in Marfa. I'm going to go there and open a salon. And I did. And it was beautiful. And I think, I think that if I had been like a chaste I think what I looked like made me problematic in the end. The fact that I never really dated anybody there made me a problem. Texas women and women who've been socialized by Texas do not take kindly to like hot single ladies coming into their realm. You're kind of seen <sighs> as like, and in Marfa and any single woman who's lived in Marfa will be like laughing right now listening to this being like, that's exactly what it's like. You go there and it's like every woman who's married or with a boyfriend is like, assumes you're there to take their person <laughs> from them. <laughs> and you're just like, nah, I'm good. I don't want your boyfriend or husband. It's just over time, you know, you're at parties 
There's so much drinking there. I've never had more drinks than, than when I was in Marfa, like in terms of drinking culture. Like over time, it was just like I was like pretty and single and like people's husbands would get drunk and flirt with me in front of them at parties. And people started to like it, I think a lot of people were waiting for something like this to happen. <sighs> so then when it did, they were like, exactly. That's what she does. Like they were waiting. It was crazy. And then in that courtroom, I was like, yeah, you're here. Of course you're here. It's really fucking crazy. I mean, it's like a, it's like a terrible, horrific scarlet letter. It's just, it is the scarlet letter. Sorry, not to yell, but like I, when I left, I was like, I'm fucking Hester Prynne. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Having you flush out a little bit of how you ended up there and that idyllic summer, it's like I can just see the movie version of this and that's the beginning. And then I'm glad there's a there's a happy ending to this, yeah. to this film. The happy ending is in LA, uh, by the way. Yeah. It's not in Texas. I know, which I'm so happy that that, spoiler alert, happened. But like I can just see, I mean, that's the thing that I, I wonder if people listening to this, how many screenwriters are going to reach out to you after this. Well, and like it was crazy too because there was a lot of media approaching me before specifically the New York Times reached out to me and I don't know how they found out. And they were like, we heard about what's going on and we want to send someone to cover the trial. And I was like, yes, please. Cause back then I was like, I already knew something was going to go down. Yeah. Cause I was like, this is too sketch. And this woman from the New York Times called me. She was like, I want to have like some, I'm going to need to interview you a bunch on the phone before I get down there. And so we spent like hours, like several conversations, several different phone conversations talking her editor was like, bought her the ticket to El Paso. She found, she booked a hotel in Marfa. She was all ready. I made the mistake of telling the district attorney oh, who no. I don't know for sure, but all I can do is assume she went right to the defense team to tell them the New York Times was coming. I get a phone call the next day from the New York Times journalist. And she said, I have no idea what happened, but my editor just pulled the story. Oh my God. She's like, this is like, crazy because like it's all ready and it's set to go and this is like a story and and they just pulled it and again all speculation but this is a he's an artist in new york city with like very very powerful buddies new york times new york times not being far off that list i would assume like who knows all speculation i don't want to get sued but um that's what happened so new york times like got called off i had sally singer who used to be the editor of vogue American Vogue, and she called me after the trial, and she was like, I might, I, I want to hear about this. We talked for hours. She was like, this should be maybe like an article for The Atlantic. Like, it needs to be, you know, da-da-da. And I just gave her the whole thing and told her all about it, how it went down, and she was kind of like, I'm stunned by this, and I now I'm worried that if we publish something, there will be backlash for you, and I don't want you to be further victimized. And I told her, I was like, Sally, I don't care. Like, I I want this. And she was like, I just don't want to put you at risk. So people have circled this. Like, I mean, are you thinking about that right now? Like with, have you shared about, like how much have you talked about this since? I haven't. I really haven't. Cause like so much of it, I had, I, I didn't sleep more than three hours a night for like two years after the trial. (sighs) I stopped sleeping. I lost 10 pounds, which I'm really tall and I looked insane um, when I lost that weight. And like, I was definitely free falling mentally for a while. And so I was like, hey, guess what? I don't have the energy to do is like have like some kind of media fight. 
And I didn't want backlash from him. Like, I'll never say his name out loud because I don't want him to, like, have a way of suing me. I was told he mentioned that he would do that someday. And so there's all this, you know, I'm, I kind of tap dance around it. But, like, yeah. absolutely. Like, if someone wants to come to me and they have their attorneys and we're, we're covered, like, I am, as I said, I'm kind of their worst nightmare because I am, like, more powerful than I was when the trial happened, yeah. more articulate. I have better resources. I have incredible lawyers behind me now. So yeah, I want to talk about it more. But just even this honestly has been so beautiful to talk to you. It's been really helpful for me. It's kind of the first time. Well, good. I mean, I'm no New York Times, but I'm so grateful that you're telling the story here because it's going to help so many people. And I'm just so happy that for you, this trauma, articulating it, I think is really important, even though it's hard and even though it's scary. And I know I keep saying it, but I'll say it a million times. Like, I'm so sorry that happened. And it's every detail you keep sharing about it. It's like more I'm still processing it. It's more wild than the next. And I'm sure there's much that you haven't even said. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's that's the basic gist of it. There are like swirling sub stories. There are so many crazy pieces and parts of when this was all going down, like fully insane. I'm curious when in time this happened in terms of Me Too, because I remember, what was that, 2017? Like there was such a shift of the conversation around this topic whenever that first mm -hmm. story came out. And then mm -hmm. there was just so much around Time's Up, like mm -hmm. kind of a snowball. And then it was yeah. almost like it stopped. Yeah. It was like too much. So where was this in the time? Well, it's crazy actually. Speaking of Time's Up, so Jill Soloway, now Joey Soloway, was a client of mine. And they reached out to me when they heard what was happening in Marfa. And they were like, can I put you in touch with some Time's Up attorneys in LA? And I was like, yes, please, thank you. Yeah. And I talked to them and they were like, we are so sorry. We can't help you because you're in Texas. There were, I mean, big, big shocker. There were no Time's Up attorneys in Texas. Right. So I did it. I mean, it happened in one of the worst places. I think Florida might be the only other worst place to have this. You know, like you're talking these like kind of caveman states where it's like great grandpa's rules are, are still there in place. So, I mean, the other thing too that I think is really important around this is that, I mean, I'm a bit embarrassed to say like, I obviously know about the intricacies of how certain states are better and worse, but I think to hear it all laid out like this mm -hmm. is really hitting me hard because it's one thing to know how bad things can be in red states, but it's a very different thing to hear someone I know and love have a true life story of it. Well, the darkest part of it, I think, when you talk about the differences in the like legal language, yeah, one of the, the, like, the dark heart of all of this is really when it comes down to the state's definition of consent, what mm -hmm. consent is. And when you'll see all those Southern states 
consent. And I, and I may be mistaken, but I remember with my dad, we were like, okay, we have to figure out what consent, like what, cause I, I never said yes. Right. To the thing that was done to me. Right. I never said yes. Right. And, um, in Texas at that time, consent does not, did not need to be verbal. It could be perceived. Then what is so that? So what does that mean? That means, that means boys are going to get away with whatever the fuck they want right. as long as their dad hires an attorney to prove that how could they not have perceived consent because you were sexy, because you were drinking, because you were laughing at their jokes, because you were sitting near them. As soon as you take like verbal a requirement for like a yes off the table, talk about like the saddest playground in the world. It's like anything could be done to you, oh. especially if you were any of those things. You were drunk, you were pretty, you were wearing a short skirt, you were laughing at their jokes. Like, So the whole thing, if a state doesn't require verbal consent, like you shouldn't live there. As a woman, mm. I mean, if you have like the mobility, like get out, dude. When I realized that, I was like, oh, wow. So dudes can do and men can do whatever the fuck they want. Yes. And also there are women who don't have the mobility. Exactly. What, what can yeah. we do to like change these laws? <laughs> like we have to like vote people in. Who right. Will do that. That's how. Tell these stories. Yeah. I mean, at the time also when it not to be like too nitty gritty, but it involved my breasts is what what happened. And at that time, Texas did not consider breasts to be sexual. <laughs> so if you were assaulted, if your breasts were assaulted, it was not considered a sex assault. This is what we're talking about. It's like these old, and then I'm sure now, especially like now that we're talking about abortion and you, and you people are talking about these states like, and the intricacies and how old is this law that's in place? It was written in like 1892 and we're still using it that has since been updated in texas thank god yeah i mean all we can do is like vote people in who will demand that you know these edits be made yeah basically oh ryan i mean <laughs> thank you so much for sharing all of this it's like it's such an honor to be asked to and i feel actually i just feel like joy in my heart being able to like say it out loud and invite women to know that I, f I feel like I'm safe harbor for women. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really happy to be that. I'm so grateful for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, I'm flabbergasted by this entire story. Like I really feel like I need to process it myself mm -hmm. just as a listener. So I can only imagine. I'd love to know you eventually moved to LA. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you lost 10 pounds. You're in this trauma. Mm -hmm. Calories go out the window. Baseline goes <laughs> out the window. Like yeah. what, what did you do to build yourself up? Like how did you, how did you get, get to here? I'm, I'm sure it wasn't overnight. What are some things that helped you? I had to try on a couple of different therapists and I found a great one. I tried a couple of different doctors and I found a great one. And we like, ran a bunch of tests. And of course my nervous system was like upside down and yeah. I my cortisol was like through the roof and he's a, a functional medicine guy. And so I was able to smooth out a lot of that stuff, get my like insomnia back in order. Yeah. LA is full of these like awesome therapeutic professionals. So I kind of couldn't have ended up in a better place. Yeah. 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 As like a piece of roadkill. What I felt like I was so sick of people telling me like, Oh, time will heal. And I was like, fuck you, you know, but they they were right. <laughs> like that's part of it. Also like Chris Candy, my boyfriend, 
is remarkable. Like yeah. his family, so beautiful. They just like brought me in his friend group. It was so cool to come from a place where people, like when I told them what was going on, as soon as they found out, either, you know, oh, like my friends have a film festival and he pays for it. So I kind of can't like smile right now. I have to kind of stare back at you and be combative or I kind of have to cross my arms when you're, you know, I came from this like murky, murky ass place where like I just would get the most like sideways reactions to me mm. being like, hey, I am having a crisis right now. Yeah. And then I came to LA and specifically yeah, Chris's friends. It was so beautiful to like meet people for the first time. And yeah, when he and I first started dating, I was like still, I still wasn't sleeping. I was still kind of like a wreck. <laughs> and they were just like calm. I would tell them what happened and they would just say that. They would say like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. This is bad. And I'm so sorry, which is what you're supposed to say the only and thing. believe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not supposed to be complicated. Yeah, it's you not know? hard. <laughs> they didn't have the like, well, maybe you're lying reaction, Ugh. which is just like the, like the Marfa way. You're just like, holy shit, dude, what is this? <sighs> so anyways, all that to say, yeah, like the friend community that I've met through Chris as well. It's just, it's, it's finding Good. my, like my, my home again. Yeah. It's like, it's like the home's been assembled. I have a great doctor. I have a great therapist. I can eat beautiful food here and I have a little village that's like regrown. And mm -hmm. so, and that just took time, you know, and patience. My first therapist was not good. I dated some real dummies when I first moved here before I found Chris. So I had to keep trying. It was really hard at first, yeah, you know, but just like I hung in there. I'm sure you learned a lot. One of those dummies brought me here, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In a roundabout way. <laughs> Synchronicity of like all of the stuff, and even inside of trauma can yeah. be pretty breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, I'm so happy all that happened for you. I, I think it's there's clearly the part about Marfa and then the terrible part about assault and women and misogyny, but I think the the particularly, I mean, it's all equally bad, but in this case, what I was curious about is how this would affect trust in general and trust with friendship because mm. I'm so happy you came into that. But even in, in my world beyond a trauma that horrific, like questioning what's real and questioning mm. Friendship is so undefined as a relationship yeah. just in general that – and you need support. We all do. Yes. We need to live in community. And yes. I'm so happy that you found your way into a good one because yeah. Yeah. after what happened to you, I, I would be so discombobulated to even understand. I'm a lot pickier now. It takes yeah. a lot more for me to like bring someone close or to, to trust them. I kind of like dropped a lot of friendships as this was happening because I watched friends who really should have been mobilizing for me. No one came to the trial outside of like Adeline and my parents. None of my friends, people who would like come to Marfa to like party with me, then didn't come for the actual trial. And I just kept being like, bro, if I had a friend in Bali right, or like Timbuktu or like Istanbul, I don't care. And it was a woman who was about to walk in front of a firing squad. Yeah. Do you know what I would fucking do? 
I'd be there. So it really made me, I I say it's kind of like my Tony Soprano. I have this like new person inside of me and I'm kind of like, if you're in your family and if you're not on the level of family for me, you're not going to be my friend. If you don't show me integrity with like decisions like that you make as someone in my life, I'm going to let go of you. I'm not going to put any work into it and I, I'm going to let you go. The mechanism to like become my friend is a lot more intricate now, yeah. which really is a good thing. I think, you know. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it comes from you not having the capacity for anything less is that where it came from isn't great, but the result of it is great. And I think we're all supposed to be doing that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're supposed to be like enhancing our filtration systems. Yeah. And not in a cruel way, but like, you know, as you become older and wiser, you just understand that there are certain types of people that are your people and they resonate. And when you find them, I think it's kind of rare to find them. And when you do, you really hang on to them and you and you take care and you invest in them. But everyone else, you don't worry about. Like in terms of the friendship investing, yeah. as a community, people that you don't know, you know, mutual aid work. Yes, I support all of that. But I'm just saying for your right. inner circle, they need to be truly on the level of family in terms of resonance. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really, really important lesson on friendship and one that I'm on, to be honest, like really have struggled with and, and am learning the hard way. Yeah. That's how you learn things is totally overcorrecting and coming closer and further away and getting burned and yeah. touching the stove again and being upset that you should have known <laughs> and totally again until you – also LA okay. too. I think it's just like so full of like mirage people, you know, like, I mean, it's everywhere, but LA specifically, whether they're people you're dating or trying to make friendships with like platonically, it can be really confusing because people appear to be something that they're not, Yeah, you know, like frequently. Or everyone has light and dark. And so I think yeah. when someone is not even dark, but everyone, there's, everyone's doing their best. And yeah. when someone's inconsistent, you want, I want to believe the best in people and absolutely i do and sometimes i'm i'm right and pleasantly surprised and sometimes i'm not and and that's fine to not be but that's how you learn but i think the older i get the the less capacity we all have for it and that's a good yeah lesson absolutely totally i think hearing about that and just this whole thing that you shared ryan is it's truly wild. Like I said, I really don't even fully have the words for it. But thinking about it now, it makes everything that you've ever said to me in our friendship and on this podcast, like it, I understand why it's such a, I mean, it's such a pivotal part of you, what it made you into. Like you said, this, this person who can help other people and help other women. But even I, I mentioned this at some point, but when you were cutting my hair at one point and, you know, you were telling me about meeting Chris and you were like, yeah, I used to, I would just cry. Like you didn't really give me the, I didn't have the context then. Yeah. And now I do. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say, but I love you. And I'm, <sighs> I'm just happy you found him and um, that I found you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, it's like we all have, we all have our versions of these stories. We really do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's why I was crying. I had like psychotic Texas courtroom PTSD. Oh, God. But well, he was so, I mean, 
Chris lost his dad when he was a little boy. Mm. And he's known like pain, core pain for so long. He just sat there with me. He didn't try to get me to skip past that topic. Yeah. He didn't try to tell me it was going to be okay. He just let me kind of like, we would drink wine and I would just like get really mad. And I would just like rail on like all the bad guys. And then I would like cry. And then I would be like, why doesn't anyone just want to hear about what happened to me? And he would be like, Ryan, they're going to someday. But like right now you are healing. He was supporting the whole process and also reminding me that I needed to just take care of myself in that period. He like was so happy that I was coming to talk to you. It sounds like he was well-versed, unfortunately, in the process of grief to understand the timeline of it and understand it can't be rushed Yeah, and understand the process and helping you understand it. Yeah. And I think that that's tremendously helpful. And he, he also wasn't afraid of it because I think yes. there have been people in my times in my life when I hadn't experienced grief that I was just afraid when other people were. So I would back away because I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And then later after well, that was when I was younger mm -hmm. and then more recently or in the last 10 years I've been able to sit with them and yeah. not have the words and maybe say the wrong thing yeah and maybe fuck yeah. up but yeah. but not run away yeah exactly. and I was there yeah and that yeah. feels so much better yeah than oh man. hiding to anyone who's like listening who has a friend who has if you're a woman I would say this, if someone has trauma and they're trying to talk to you, you're going to feel like you want to run away at first. You're going to feel like you don't know what to say. You might say, say some stupid shit, but like sit with her, stay with her. Even if you say stupid shit, if you just like sit next to her, mm -hmm. you're going to find something to say that's not stupid. Yeah. But when I had friends just fucking disappear because it was too uncomfortable for them. Let me just tell you, I'm not proud of it, but the Tony Soprano in me has a running list of all the people that did that. And I don't ever want to see them again because I used to take care of them. I used to take care of their children. Mm -hmm. There are all these people that just went fucking radio silent. And it hurts like nothing I can describe yeah. to have a friend do that to you. So like by like if if you have someone in your life who's wanting to talk about this stuff, whatever it is, please try. Please try to sit with them and stay in the room. It's very disorienting what you just described because it it takes off your throw of balance of what is real. Like this yeah. is what I thought this was and then their reaction being so not what it should be is so disorienting that it makes you question well, everything. It, it ends up making okay. So the the dark thing about like the what defense attorneys do their playbook is to make you feel like a bad girl out the gate. It's the first thing they do. Bad girl. When your friends stop talking to you because something like this is happening, all that does is also make you feel like a bad girl. Yeah. So what they're doing is basically working for the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And I think people 
maybe they, I, why would they put that together? But I really want people to know that if they're yeah. listening to this, like you start working for the other side yeah. when you retreat from a woman who is in this place. Yeah. Unfortunately. I hope those, those people have learned since. And I, I, I think, you know, not knowing what to say or not having the words is just an excuse and I and I I I get it, you know, even not in this sort of context, but even just not wanting to be around grief. Yeah. When I was a kid, honestly, I, and I'm I'm proud of this, like as a adult, I've yeah. been able to I had a friend who lost a friend and I I just sat with him. Yeah. I didn't know what to say. And yeah. I said that. Yeah. yeah. And that's better that's than enough. saying nothing. That's, that's enough. And and the more you do it, it's just like any other muscle. And the, yes. the unfortunate thing is like the more time we spend on this planet, the more people we're going to lose, the more yes. shitty things that are going to happen to women, unfortunately, yes. and the more yes. you're going to need to be there for people. Yeah. So yeah. I think ultimately it's like taking care of ourselves so we build up the capacity to be there for each other. Yes, yes. And then – doing what you can to be there for somebody else with yep. what you have yep. and trying to be resourced so you can try to resource other people because it's obviously really hard to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And there's good parts too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Uh. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so I love much you. for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, you're honestly, I was telling Chris, I was like, Katie's the bravest journalist I've spoken to because she wanted Aww. to like put me on air. And we're talking like heavy hitter, powerful people backed away from it. Well, I'm running. I'm running right into it. I'm honestly wondering. Okay. So we've been going for an hour and 13 minutes and I want to have all of this in yeah. it. Yeah. We were going to do, we were going to sneak this in everybody and do this <laughs> in this one part when we were starting to talk about calories, but I don't want to cut this yeah. and I don't want to put this in and then go back to us talking about calories. Yeah. It's okay if you don't, we need to tell me right now. And oh yeah. Cut this part out. Yeah. But why don't we do the episode as it is with you even just saying, I don't think I can talk about this. Oh, yeah. And then Great. an addendum. Perfect. This. Great. Yes. And I'll like I'll explain that up top, but I just kind of feel like I mean I, I was full and I and I did do a one <laughs> moment of lying in there where <laughs> where we start talking about it and I'm like, it did. <laughs> Which I knew coming here today we're, we're like going to talk about this. <laughs> I had one moment of acting, which I'm wondering if people will notice. But I, to be honest with you, I only knew like a very small portion of this. And I like got out a microphone and was going to just be like, all right, you want to tell it real quick? Like I had no idea I know, the that's, intricacy of this. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God, it's, it's a hard thing. You, you're just like, well, I have to say this and I have to say this yeah. too. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's like an hour. And a half. No, I get it. But yeah, I, no, I, I, I think it. that's great. And I think I mean, to include that part where I'm like, oh, I got to because Katie, um, she's talking about the other the previous episode where we were, she was like, so why did you stop counting calories after years of being compulsively addicted to it? And I was like, well, something bad happened to me. And then all of a sudden my nervous system like glitched out and I just like froze. And I was like, I got uh, assaulted. And then we kind of skipped through it. And anyways, yeah. all that to say, I was so grateful to be able to come back and be like, can we talk about that? Like I went into, I had a therapy sesh after Katie and I did yeah. that first episode and I was like, 
telling my therapist, he's like, well, Ryan, do you want to talk about it with her? And I was like, I really do. So I'm so grateful to you for letting me come back and go deep. Of course. And I'm so grateful (sighs) to you for, I mean, I always say before we start, like, feel free to stop and start. And if you want to re-say something, call me after. If you think of something you want taken out or you want to add in. And I'm, I meant it, of course. And I am so grateful that we were putting this in. And, and I'm grateful that people get to hear this after knowing you, like after those three hours that we had yeah. with each other. Yeah. And this is, this is really important. And I really appreciate you, you know, ha- having to get your nervous system back in it to tell this. Even though that's hard, I think it's really good that we did. So much of the trauma of what defense attorneys do is they're trying to silence you. Yeah. They're desperate to silence you. And they, you kind of feel like you're getting choked out by these yeah. usually men. Um, and this is me kind of like taking off that whatever they put on. You know, yeah. it's like a muzzle. And you're like, guess what? I don't have this on. And we're not in a courtroom in Texas. So I'm going to say what I need to say. Yeah. And so it's beautiful. It's such a gift you're giving me. So thank you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I'm glad we did this. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm well, so grateful. Let's, I think we could both use another deep breath. So let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Inhale. Let it out. Ah. <laughs> they don't call this let it out for nothing. <laughs> thank you. Ryan, this is your boyfriend, Chris. I just want to say that I love you and. When I first met you, I told myself I was just going to continue to get to know you. And this podcast has been great for me because I just keep getting to know you. And believe it or not, I'm learning more about you as I listen to it. All my love. Chris. I mean, there really are no words to say i am just grateful that you listened i'm grateful to ryan for telling the story i am so sorry that this happened to her and again no sponsor this week but please check out the organization that we want to mention which is the texas advocacy project link is in the show notes again thank you so much to ryan and I'm truly so in awe of this individual more so after this conversation than even before. And I and I really, really admired her so much just from the little that I knew about her. But after these last three episodes, I feel closer to her and, you know, I was thinking about how I met this special, wise person and We talk about it a little bit in the earlier episodes, which I've received more messages from people about the last two episodes than maybe any other episode I've done in the last 10 years of this podcast. So it just shows how special Ryan is. And it's really unsurprising. I I was thinking about how we met early in the pandemic, my friends, Savannah and Karina 
and Zoe would talk about Ryan as this former model who was so cool and talented and also a hairstylist. And, you know, she became a character, like this mythical figure who my friends would would talk about. And a couple years later, I was in Zoe's kitchen and I came over, Zoe was getting a haircut. And then there she was. I was just mesmerized watching her dexterously cut Zoe's hair, all the while telling an incredible story. And Zoe's hair looks amazing, somehow looks longer, even though there's a ton of her hair on the floor. Ryan's really warm. And she didn't cut my very broken LA hard water damaged hair that day, but she did touch it in this way that made me feel like somehow, some way, someday it was going to be okay, that my life somehow was going to be okay, but take a while. And turns out she was right about both my life and my hair improved here. And a couple of years later, when it was longer and better, but I needed a trim, Zoe encouraged me to book an appointment with Ryan. And she was like, look, honestly, she's the best. And she's really fun to talk to. Zoe's always right. She gives the best advice, Zoe and Ryan. Zoe is someone in my life who is incredibly solution-oriented and wise, even though she's quite a bit younger than me. And not that age ever matters with that, but you know, if Ryan calls herself a baby elder woman, then Zoe would be an infant fetus elder woman full of wisdom. But anyway, Zoe's always right. And so I make the appointment and I'm sitting in the chair with Ryan and I'm having the best conversation with her. And Zoe's right. She is really fun to talk to. And while like huge pieces of my hair fall to our feet, she's cutting around and she's telling me some of her dating horror stories and she's listening to some of mine and not only do I get the best haircut of my life that I get so many compliments on and somehow again makes my hair look longer, I also walk out of there with a copy of a book, her copy of a book, which we talked about in the first episode. She wrote something inside of it. I leave with this book with an inscription from Ryan, a great haircut. Then, you know, a couple months later, a couple haircuts later, I'm back at her studio with some microphones and we record for three hours and then she calls me and says, you know, I went to therapy and I left therapy today and I, I want to tell this story. And I was really had no idea the full extent of it, like I said here, but I'm really grateful that she did. I'm really grateful that we got to do the other episodes too. So, and thank you so much for being here and listening to this podcast. It just became March. If you're listening to this, the date came out. And I started this show when I was 22 years old. That was March of 2013. And now it's March of 2023. And I can't believe I'm still doing this, but I'm really glad I am. If it allows me to make a place where Ryan can tell this to other people, I'm happy that I started this weird project in my apartment in Michigan. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being here. And thank you, Ryan. 
This episode is edited by the incredible, also wise, and also baby, 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 fetus, elder woman who gives great advice, Brianna Bain, my friend. And you want me to see what the book says inside of it? I should know it by memory, but I'm going to go grab it and read it right now. Okay. Eight, two, 22. Two is my lucky number. That's three twos in a row. Okay. To Katie, exclamation point, with a heart, trust the wisdom of your own heart and in the timing of the universe. You will love this book. Love, Ryan.